How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, if you don't know, my son turned three last week. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And um, he, my, he just, Xander loves the movie, the car, the two cars movies. Um, I mean, loves them. Kind of his life revolves around cars for the most part. And, uh, you know, his birthday party was all cars themed, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg as far as this kid's love. My son only wears cars clothes. Uh, like he wears cars uh, shirts like every day, except on Sunday, we told him he can't wear cars stuff to church, although he is wearing cars sneakers. So he does kind of slip it in and sometimes because he has car socks, he has car shorts, um, he obviously cars hats and other accessories. Um, he went through a season where he's coming out of it, but he, where he, he would only eat cars food. Um, like, you know, when the movie came out, they, they did all these, you know, promotional things. And so um, Xander would only eat. They did like cars, mac and cheese. So he wouldn't just eat mac and cheese. That's disgusting. He would only eat cars, mac and cheese, because if it wasn't shaped like Lightning McQueen or Mater, he isn't going to eat it. Um, then uh, he would he likes Cheez-Its, but he wouldn't eat Cheez-Its anymore. He would only eat cars, Cheez-Its. The ones that had the, the characters stamped on the Cheez-Its. He ate Cars cereal, even if he didn't like the cereal. Uh, in fact, it got so extreme, they made this Cars yogurt. And he didn't even like the yogurt. And uh, he would still eat it. In fact, we were going through somewhere and they made this, um, like, you know, those little apple juice boxes. Well, they made pear juice. He doesn't like pear juice, but it had Mater on it. And he's like, what do you want to drink? Cars juice. And so, he'd be, you know, he'd be like how is it Xander good good you know and he would eat it just because it's it's just because it's cars and uh sometimes he'll ask to borrow my phone uh you know and and he'll say puppy let me borrow your iphone and so i'll give him the iphone and he knows how to open up youtube and we have some searches that he does that are saved and um so what he does and oh he watches cars on on uh, on his on your phone, right? No, he has an iPod that has the Cars movies already loaded. I've already taken care of that. Um, but he goes because he likes to do. He searches product reviews of Cars toys. So what he does when he watches, he just want you know. It's like people like, hello everybody. I just want to show you this new Cars toy that came out. And so it's these people that are just doing these little things and they show them how they work. And then he'll say, Papi, this is what I want. You know this thing. And so and then. If he's not watching that, his other favorite thing is to watch other kids play with their cars toys. Like, I'm like, what do you want? What are you doing, Xander? Oh, this kid's playing with the cars toy. Well, what does he do? He just, he's pushing them. Why don't you push yours? Yeah, I'm doing that. And what will happen is he'll, he'll watch them until he gets inspiration. And then he'll go and set up a whole thing um, in his room. Well, yesterday, um, his grandparents uh, gave him some money for his birthday. Uh, and then he had a gift card that someone gave him. And so he went to, uh, we went to Target last night, uh, you know, yesterday afternoon. And he bought this car's track that I built for him. The thing just does figure eights. And you just, you have to like wind it up and all that. He was so excited about it. Um, and then you, you could put two cars in there and they smash together. And he was, yeah, I mean, he was like going crazy in his room. And we were into it. And he, but he wouldn't stop playing with it. Now, my kids normally go to sleep about 7.30. And you're thinking, like, how in the world do you do that? Well, that's Benadryl. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> all the parents laughed. Um, <laughs> 
I'll take parenting for 200, Alex. A uh, person who hasn't had a hot meal in years. Ding, ding, ding. That would be, uh, what is a parent? Anyway, um, so, uh, <laughs> so he has, so anyway, Xander, I'm like, Xander, it's time to go to sleep. No, I got to play with my track. So I let him stay up a little later. Nine o'clock, he's still rocking with the track. But he's so exhausted that, he's act, that he can't wind the thing up anymore. So he has now employed his sister. To have, who has to wind it up. Well, Mia's exhausted. She's like, Bobby, I want to go to sleep. I'm like, okay, no! Mia, you have to play with me! And so she has to wind it up. Now, Xander is so tired, he's laying on the ground next to the track. He can't even move. And so when, and Mia's like, like she's like this, you know, okay. She's winding the thing. And I, so finally I say, okay, you know, we're, we're tagging out here. Uh, Xander, I'll wind it up a little because I was winding it up. And then we're taking care of my other daughter, Olivia, and trying to, you know, anyway. So we're trying to get all this done. So I say, Xander, you stay there. And um, I'm going to put me at a bed and then I'll come back. And so I come back and he's like, the track, the track, you know. And, and uh, it's, it's the, it, seriously, this kid's passion for cars like knows no bounds, right? And this is what happens to us. I mean, it's not cars. If it is, like, you need to really see somebody. Um, but we start out passionate about something. And then somehow what starts out as very passionate um, gets replaced by, you know, what starts out as passion gets replaced by function. You know, there are things, we would do crazy things, you know, um, because we were so passionate about something. And now something happened. And it's not the action itself. It's that our heart changed. It's not that we wouldn't do it for something else. It's just there's something that happened in our heart that, that caused us to change. I mean, I was, um, this is a few months ago, my wife and I were driving to Aventura Mall and we're pulling in to the Aventura Mall, uh, kind of like around the back where the food court is. And so we're parking there and we're walking in and I show her this bench and I say, you know, I slept on that bench once. And she's like, like when? Well, when I was in high school. And she said, what happened? I said, well, there was this concert I wanted to go to, and it was at the Cameo Theater in Miami Beach. And so what happened was is that, and we, I, didn't, not, my, I was in the 10th grade, and none of my friends had cars at the time. So we all skipped the last three periods of class. We hopped on a bus in Coral Springs, took it from Coral Springs to the Hollywood Fashion Mall. Remember the Hollywood Fashion Mall? Now, I don't even know what it is anymore. It's like, you know, anyway, there's like zombies there. Um, so from the Hollywood Fashion Mall, we took a bus... To Aventura, from Aventura, we took a bus to uh, to to uh, Miami Beach, to where we went to go see the concert. So we went to this concert, and then we knew the buses stopped running at 1 a.m. So we knew, so we had this whole plan, and the plan was get back to Aventura, um, get on the last bus, which was like 12:45, and then make it back to Aventura by like two in the morning, and then we'll sleep at Aventura Mall. I mean, who? What kind of a what kind of a genius plans this thing? Um, you know. And so I guess it's people who don't have money for a cab. That's who does. Um, so anyway, so we get the, so we do this and me and a bunch of my friends, we slept there until about 6 a.m. when the buses started running again, hopped on the bus, got back home. And my parents were none the wiser uh, until they hear this message. And uh, but, you know, it's, it's OK now. Uh, now. Now, this is like this is how hardcore I was about going to a concert. And, and now, like now, when is the concert? Really? That late, huh? Wow. I mean, I guess. What kind of seats did I get? 
I'm, I'm not in the first 10 rows. Who cares? You know, I mean, like my whole perspective has changed. Like I, I was the guy who would sleep on the bench outside, like with wild animals. I mean, Aventura, but still. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how wild anything is out there. Uh, and then, you know, to now it's like, well, you know, it, you know, it's, it, you know, but it's, you see, we do this with hobbies and it's not a big deal. But what happens when we do it with, with the people that we love most? We start out as very passionate. I'd do anything for you. But now you get to a point where now if, I, there was a point where if you asked anything of me, I would do it. Now, if you ask anything of me, I mean, come on. And see, we do that with our relationships. We do that with those that we, that we love most. Listen, we do it in our relationship with God, if we were honest. That we, we started out so passionate, Right? Those of us that have been Christians for a long time, we started out so passionate in, in our relationship with God. And, and then something happened. I remember I, I heard about this guy uh, when I was in college. And uh, his first thing that he would do that when he opened his eyes, the first thing that he would do is he, when he, uh, he opened his eyes and he would read the Bible because he wanted the Bible to be the first thing that he saw in the morning. Right. And then, and I remember being a college student and I was in, you know, getting my theology degree and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and, and then I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I would do that. I'd wake up in the morning, have my Bible right there. First thing that I would do is look at it. And then somehow you go from that to where is my Bible? You know, like, do I even own one anymore? You know, and like, what happened? Something, something happened. But what once used to be passion got replaced with function. And, and we think, well, well, you just start reading it again, right? But see, some, we, we sometimes focus on the action itself. But do you know that there's something deeper than that? You see, the problem isn't in the action. The problem is in the heart. Because the action is simply the indicator of what's happening in our hearts. The problem for us is the heart is a part of the body you can't see. And because of that, you can have, and this is true physically as it's true spiritually, you can have heart problems and not even realize it because they manifest themselves in different ways. You have shortness of breath and you think, man, it's a, it's a lung problem, not a heart problem, but it actually could be a heart problem. You have indigestion and you think it's like an intestinal problem, but it's not a heart problem, but actually could be a heart problem. You have numbness. You think it's a circulation problem, not a heart problem, but it actually could be your heart. Because, and it's because your heart doesn't hurt that you don't think it's a heart problem. And listen, in the same way, spiritually, when something is out of whack in our lives, issues arise that are symptomatic of a bad heart, of a heart that's misguided, of a heart whose uh, affections are misplaced. Jesus would say it this way. It's in your notes. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You see, all of these actions, and a lot of times we want to focus just on the actions. Well, don't do those things. But see, if you want to not do those things, here's what we have to do. We've got to focus on the heart because that's the greater issue. That's the greater thing that we need to deal with. Now, isn't the opposite true? When someone is just so passionate about something, we, we, we recognize that, that it's indicative of what's happening in their heart. When someone is passionate, what do we tell them? We say, man, they really have a heart for that. 
When someone does something kind that we associate with the heart, we say it was heartfelt or heartwarming. We all of us intuitively have this understanding that the actions that we do come from the heart. And that's... You see, the reason is, is because if you can affect the heart, everything else flows from there. Have you noticed this in the Bible? That throughout the Bible, God is so concerned about getting hold of our heart. He wants the actions to change, but the way that he says the actions change is by getting hold of our hearts. That's why the Jews, they woke up every day and they would recite something that was called the Shema. And the Shema was a statement of faith of the God of Israel. It was a commitment to serve him, but it's all about the heart. He says this in Deuteronomy 6. This is the Shema. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is the very thing. This issue of the heart is what John focuses on in the verses that we're going to look at in 1 John chapter 3. So I want to invite you to turn there, if you would. 1 John chapter 3. Because that... The idea is this, is that our actions, that our words are simply effects of what's happening in our heart. Our lives, for the most part, are a reflection of our heart. The things that we're passionate for, the things that we're zealous about. Listen, the truth of the matter is, is that the state of our relationships is is directly related. It's a reflection of our heart. The state of our physical health is a reflection of our heart. The state of our of our relationship with God is a reflection of our heart. And here's the thing that we need to understand. It's what God understands and what God is seeking to do throughout the Scriptures, what God is seeking to do in your life and in mine. That God wants to work in us and the thing that He wants to do is not so much deal with the symptom. He wants to deal with the root. And the root is the heart. Because He knows, as we need to know, that if we can change the heart, Everything changes. If we change the heart, everything changes. That's where we're going to start in 1 John chapter 3 in verse 16. Listen to what it says. It says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the, tu- the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to tell you. I want to tell you three things about the heart. Here's the first one. If we're going to change our heart, there are certain attitudes that our heart needs. And the first is this. Number one, I need a sacrificial heart. That's what God is looking for. A sacrificial heart, not just a heart that's looking to see what it can get, but a heart that is so full of the things of God that it's simply overflowing and giving out to others. I don't know if you remember the first time you ever went to church in your life. Maybe it was here, maybe it was somewhere else. The first time I ever went to church was when I was five years old. And uh, I I don't even know if I returned much until I was 19 when I became a Christian. Um, But I was five, I went to church with my grandmother and all my Star Wars toys. Uh, much like how Xander is with his cars, I was with all my Star Wars toys. Uh, I had this Darth Vader carrying case that I carried with me everywhere. And uh, it had all my action figures. 
um, you know, and I brought them with me to keep me company while I was in Sunday school with the other kids. And I vividly remember the lesson. I mean, I vividly remember the lesson. Uh, the lesson was on the subject of generosity. And so I, and I remember after church that I was sitting on the steps of this, uh, of this church waiting. My grandmother was talking to some people. And so I was waiting for her and um, I was playing with a Star Wars figure, a guy named Greedo. This is him. That's not my actual figure, but that is the figure that I was playing with. And for whatever reason, um, by the way, how many of you know who that is? Can I ask you that? How many of you say I've never seen that man in my life? My heart hurts for you. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm amazed at the number of people I meet that have never seen Star Wars. And uh, like my, my former assistant, that's not the reason she's my former assistant, but she is my former assistant. She had never seen Star Wars and it hurt our, our ability to work together. Because I would make jokes, because I quote the Bible and Star Wars interchangeably. And, um, and so I would make these jokes that are Star Wars related, and she wouldn't laugh. And it made me feel old. And I would cry a little when she left. Anyway, and uh, so anyway, his name is Greedo. And uh, Greedo is the guy that goes into the bar at Moss Eisley and uh, tries to shoot Han Solo. Um, and uh, by the way, uh, in the original Star Wars, Han shoots him first. That's like one of the big under themes. Han shot first. Um, and then George Lucas changed it to Greedo shooting first. And that's what we like to call an abomination. Uh, anyway. Thank you. <laughs> I got a whole other message on that. Um, but I had this Greedo action figure. And I'm throwing the Greedo action figure up in the air. And... Um, and I threw him up in the air at one point and I lost him. And I'm looking around and I start freaking out. I'm like hyperventilating, you know. <sighs> you know, I, I can't find, I'm looking for, for Greedo. And, um, and there was this kid that was in my Sunday school class and he found it. And he brought it back to me. And he's like, hey, is, is this the toy, the, the toy that you lost? And I'm like, oh, yes, thank you. And I, I mean, whew. And, but see, the thing is, I had two Greedos. Uh, I had another one there in, in, the, in, the, in, in my carrying case, and then I had this other one, and, uh, and, and this thing, listen, and here's what I did, and I remembered the lesson about generosity, and I actually gave him the Greedo, and uh, let me tell you, yeah, that's really good, um, <laughs> I gave, listen, you know, it was like, it was contrary to every natural bone in my body, um, but I, and I actually gave, and I, and I gave it away, because I thought, man, I, w- I would have lost him anyway. I don't even know how five-year-olds have the reason to, like, the ability to reason like this. Um, but they, they, um, but I, I said to him, I said, I would have lost it, so you have it. I still have another one. And um, if it was Darth Vader, who knows. But uh, at least for Greedo, I was, able, I was okay. Now, and here's the point. A real heart for God doesn't just sing the songs and lift the hands. A real heart for God is seen in what we do. It's how we prove what's really in our hearts. Because listen, we can recite the Bible verses and we can sing the lyrics to the songs, but our heart, listen, what's in, what's in our hearts is coming out in our actions. Listen, this is why, and sometimes people think that, you know, um, like we don't realize. You know what saddens me uh, so much? When I see people who call themselves Christians, who quote the Bible, and they are some of the most mean-spirited people that I've ever come across. And what it tells me is this. What it tells me is, is that they've learned a lot up here. But there's really not that much happening here. Because when we actually realize 
that Jesus saves people who are hopelessly messed up. That's got to change something that's happening here. But to actually think that Jesus saved me so that now I can go be self-righteous and, you know, hold up signs because, you know, that's always changed people's opinions. Um, you know, is holding up signs that are, you know, somewhat derogatory uh, or that are differing from your opinion or whatever. And uh, it's like, you know, I thought about that, but then I saw that clever sign. That really changed everything for me. You know, and, and it's, not, it's not the way that it works. And, and the, the issue is, is that, listen, our actions are speaking more about what's happening in our hearts than anything else. And the illustration that John uses to, to, um, to show us a picture of this is Jesus and the cross. That's why he says, and by this we know love, in verse 16, because he laid down his life for us. He points to the cross and says, do you want to know if God really loves you? Here, you want to know what love really looks like? Then check it out. This is it. It's a cross. It's, it's the man who was God dying on it. That's what it looks like. And then Jesus, John says, okay, that's the picture of love, okay? It's, it's Jesus on a cross dying. Okay, now, if that's what he did, and that's what love looks like, he laid down his life for us, then here's what we should do. Do likewise. If he laid down his life for us, then we should lay our, down our lives for others. You see, his sacrifice should produce sacrifice in our lives. Because listen, if you're going to have a real heart, a real heart for God, I need a sacrificial heart. What is that? It's the great commandment. What is that? Listen, here's what it said. I put this in your notes in Matthew 22. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Once again, going back to the Shema. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself on these two commands. Hang all the law and the prophets. Now, let me I want to explain this. But to have to explain this, I need everybody to stand up, if you would, for just a moment. If you wouldn't mind, because I need to tell you a story. Uh, I also need, if you can, if you can, I need everybody to stand on one leg. If you cannot, don't try it. EMTs are not standing by. Okay, so if you don't mind standing up on one leg for just a moment. Um, there was a man, this is in ancient Israel, uh, who decided that he wanted to follow the God of Israel. And so what he said was, he says, I want to know all of God's commands, but I don't want to have to wait. So what I'll do is I'll ask the sages... These were the guys that were around just before the time of Jesus. We're, maybe, we're talking about maybe 50 B.C., something like that. But I'm going to ask the sages to give me the short version. So he went to a famed rabbi uh, by the name of Shammai. And he said to him, he says, I want you to teach me the whole Torah while standing on one leg. And so Shammai, he was a kind of a fiery preacher, uh, rabbi. He, he was famous for carrying the stick around. And so when the guy said, I want you to teach me the whole Torah while standing on one leg, uh, Shammai took out his stick and he hit the guy with it and the guy took off running. Um, and, and so then he decided to, to visit another guy, uh, the other leading rabbi in Israel at that time, which was a guy named Hillel. And so Hillel, uh, he went to Hillel and he says, Hillel, I want you to teach me the whole law while standing on one leg. And this is what Hillel said to him. He said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn the rest. Have a seat. Have a seat. 
Thank you for that clap. Um, the rest of you are too late. Uh, now, why is he saying that? He says, if you want to boil it down, here's what it comes down to. The question that this lawyer is asking Jesus is very similar. What is the greatest commandment? What is the message of the Bible? Now, this would have been important because he was a lawyer. What is a lawyer? An expert in the law. This was, in, in ancient Israel, an expert in the five books of Moses. And so he's saying, you know, I'm an expert in the law. But now you're a rabbi and I want you to tell me, what is the greatest command? And Jesus says to him, well, the greatest command is the Shema. You said it this morning. I said it this morning. Love the Lord your God and you shall, um, you know, uh, the Lord, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the, but then he says this. The second is like it. The second is like it. Yeah, the second is just as weighty and just as powerful. That you love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because if you really do love God, it's going to be seen in your actions and attitudes towards other people. You see, that, that's, the whole, that's the whole issue. And that's why they, these Jews repeated the Shema morning and evening. That they, the Lord is one. That's the God we follow. And we're going to love him with everything we've got. And if we do love him with everything that we have, then the outflow of that will be to love other people. It's the reality of who God is and our commitment to him. Because if we don't love God, we won't obey God. Right? This is what Jesus said. He says for this, or First John 5, we're going to get there in a few weeks. He says, this is the love of God to obey his commandments. But what I love is that Jesus answers the question that wasn't being asked. The guy asked for the first command, not the second. But Jesus gives him the second because that's the only way that we see the first one played out practically. Because if I love God, I'm going to love others. It's the natural outflow. Now, I don't know if you think about this stuff, but I think about this stuff. Think about this. I want you to think about, for the moment, Jesus says all of the law and the prophets hangs on these two commands. Love God, love others. But isn't there a lot missing there? I mean, there's nothing about the dietary laws, right? The no bacon restriction. Like, love God, love others, and no bacon. He doesn't even talk about the bacon. Which to me would have been a heavy issue. Um, and then he doesn't talk about circumcision, right? For most guys, that's a serious issue. And he doesn't talk about the sacrifices. He doesn't talk about the ten, well, you know, the whole laws, the Ten Commandments. He doesn't even talk about the Ten Commandments, the most famous of all the commandments. He doesn't, even talk, he doesn't even talk about it. And is Jesus throwing them out the window? No, but here's what he does. He's saying that all of the law and the prophets hangs on this command. And that if you make loving God, your priority, you'll keep the commands. And if you keep the commands, the very outflow of your life will be to love other people. That's why he throws in the second one and it's not just flippantly thrown in. It's because if you love God, loving others is the byproduct. Well, look at what happens next in First John. And he talks about the kind of heart we need to have. Look at verse 20. He says this, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Um, the first is, the first thing that we talked about, what kind of heart do we need to have? What's a real heart towards God? It's a sacrificial heart. The second is this, is that I need a confident heart. A confident heart. Not a prideful heart. Not an arrogant heart. But a confident one. I spoke at this church a couple of years ago and I was with my family 
And afterwards, they had this kind of area for fellowship where the kids and my, my kids were playing. And um, my son was probably about 18 months old at the time. Mia was about three and a half or so. And um, all of a sudden, I see this little mouse. I mean, the mouse was maybe that big. And it was um, just kind of walking around the, the corner there of the, this, this big giant room. And there was uh, obviously there was a bunch of food there. So it was attracted to, to the food and all that. And I told my kids that there was a mouse in the corner. And there's a weird thing that happens when you tell an adult there's a mouse. When you tell a kid there's a mouse. When you tell a kid there's a mouse, they run headlong in the direction of the mouse. Uh, adults do other things, but kids run in the direction of the mouse. And, and, and then my kids see the mouse, they start going crazy. Uh, they're excited. Other kids start coming over to see the mouse. Now there's a crowd forming to see the mouse. And um, when the mouse got near uh, the door that goes up to the hallway... This woman walks in to find out what all the fuss is about. And, and so she says to me, she says, Pastor, what's all the fuss about? I saw there's this little mouse there in, in the corner. And then the kids start moving around and she gets really nervous. And she's like, oh, no, you got to be kidding me. I'm, I'm, I'm really afraid of mice. And, uh, and so she starts walking backwards. And not realizing that she's walking backwards, like right to where the mouse is, you know, because she's, she's walking towards me. Like, she's walking away from me like I'm the mouse. I'm not the mouse. You're walking towards the mouse. and You don't even know it. And then she walks back. The kids kind of move out of the way. The mouse makes a move. And then and so she's telling me, I'm, you've got to be kidding me. I don't like mice. I'm afraid of mice. And I said, well, I'm sorry to tell you the mouse is on your foot right now. And she looked down and saw the mouse on her shoe. And that woman let out a scream that would have rivaled the scream from the movie Psycho. Because it was a shriek that could have broken glass. And she freaked out. And you ever notice people start freaking out? They start running in place. Ah! Like, what is this? If you're going to run, move out of there. But people start, they start, they get freaked out and they start running in place like these are the things i don't understand and so she starts she's running in place and uh, and then the mouse got freaked out and it ran and hit under the coke machine that was there and the funny scene the funny thing to me about this is that like this lady was what like a hundred times larger than a mouse and like you know one step and she would have sent that thing to like mouse heaven wherever that is probably disney world i don't know uh and so, um, but instead she's screaming like the mouse is going to kill her. Like, it's like, hey, it's a mouse and it's got an axe, you know, and it's the weirdest thing. The weird part is, once again, kids weren't scared of the mouse. Only the women and the girly men were running away. And, um, and <laughs> you know, there's some things that aren't in the notes, uh, and the, the, the weirdest thing is this, is that, and the point is, fear is totally irrational. It's totally irrational. And see, the thing is that because there was something in their heart, whether it was rational or not, it simply came out through, through what, what was happening there. The point that John makes is this. There might be things in your heart that are totally irrational. And we think, well, because it's in my heart, it must be who I am. Because... Man, my heart is condemning me because of what's happening. And here's what he says. If your heart condemns you, guess what? God is greater than your heart. What does that mean? There's a lot of people that walk around 
They walk around life with guilt, shame, fear, condemnation over things that took place in the past. And listen, they simply cannot release it. And here's the thing that John says to them. God is greater than your feelings. God is greater than what's, uh, what you even think is happening in your heart. God is greater even than what your heart is speaking to you. Because we've got to trust what God's word has to say even above what we think. Because we're not omniscient. We're not uh, perfect in our knowledge. Sometimes we have a frame of reference, a construct that we've created in our lives. And we think, well, this must be reality. And it's a totally skewed view of reality. And we've got to actually take what God's word has to say and believe it even above what our own heart tells us. Oh, I know, but I've come to Jesus and man, I just feel, I I still feel condemned. You know what the Bible says to you? I put it in your notes in Romans 8. And if you're like, man, I still feel condemned. You need to memorize this. You got to like write it on you with a Sharpie or something. Uh, You know, he says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, but see, there's this one thing, and I know that God's holding it against me. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, but I'm just so ashamed of my past. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you don't know what I've done. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in the act of adultery when they came? They they put her there. They said, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And he writes on the ground. In fact, the Greek word is kata grapheia. Kata meaning against, grapheia meaning right. He was writing against them, the accusers. And he says, those who aren't guilt, who have no sin, or maybe he says, it could be translated, those who aren't guilty of the same sin. These guys all left one by one. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, nowhere. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. She's free. She doesn't have to be that person anymore. She doesn't have to live in the past anymore. She doesn't have to be, well, she's the person who... No, she's free. Listen, if you've come to know Jesus, your past, you aren't that person anymore. You used to be that person, but now, here's what the Bible says, if you've come to know Him, that anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You aren't that person anymore. And then, But now, let me say this, and this is an important... Note to make, well, what happens when I sin and now I I feel condemned? I feel convicted. There's a difference, my friends, between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and being condemned. You say, well, what do you mean? God doesn't condemn us when we mess up. Satan condemns us. You see, what God does is that he convicts us. Conviction leads to change. Conviction is like, ah, I blew it. I, 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 ah, I, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I'm so sorry. Help me to do better. Help me to be more like you. And you keep walking. Condemnation leads to guilt, shame, self-loathing, all, kind, all kinds of stuff that draws us away from God. See, conviction says, Lord, I messed up. Let me draw closer to you so that you can help me by the power of your spirit to be who you want me to be. Condemnation is, oh man, I'm just not worthy. Let me pull away from God. That's why the Bible says this in Revelation. It says that Satan is the accuser of believers. When you mess up, when we mess up, this is what Satan says to us. You're worthless. There's no way God could ever use you. 
You're a loser who has no redeeming qualities. That is not God. Listen, when we sin, God's conviction leads us to repentance and to change. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. He says this in John 16. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin and that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. The Spirit always speaks to us in ways that are consistent with who God is. He will convict us of sin but never condemn us. And now the question is, yeah, but should a Christian ever feel, well, should we feel guilty? Yes. When we sin, we should feel the conviction of the Spirit and feel guilty over our sin. But then we move on. We don't live there. Here's what Satan wants you to do to wallow in your guilt, to own that, like that's who I am. And now to believe that now I can never be used by God. And that guilt needs to, leads to uh, a self-loathing and, and now leads to d- distancing myself from God. That is not from him. Listen, the most freeing thing that you could walk away with from today's message could be this. Is that you've been walking around with this condemnation, with this guilt and shame in your heart. Can I just tell you something? It's not from him. And maybe today is your opportunity to say, I just release it. I'm releasing it. And I'm going to live the life that God wants me to live. Here's what he says. Last couple verses in chapter 3 of First John. He says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us commandment. Now he who, abide, he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to tell you. The kind of heart that we need to have, a sacrificial heart, a confident heart, and lastly, an obedient heart. An obedient heart. This is one of the themes of 1 John. The principles um, that obeying the commands of God is just one of the overarching themes. It's one of the ways that we show that we know him. It's one of the ways that we show the kind of heart that we have is because our actions are flowing out through what's happening in our heart. And listen, I, I share this every once in a while, but some, it bears repeating. A lot of us suffer from what I like to call the my buddy principle. Now, some of you remember my buddy, right? Let me tell you about my buddy. Besides, we like to climb up a tree. My buddy and me were the best friends we could be. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. Um, Now, let me tell you about... Sometimes we think that God is our buddy. We think Jesus is our homeboy. And, you know, he understands when we decide not to obey God because he, quote unquote, knows my heart. Here's the reality. What's in your heart comes out in your actions. And it's delusional. To think that my heart and my actions can be totally divorced from each other. That I can have one thing in my heart, but what, ha- what comes out is, is something totally different. In any other area of life, we would say that's a complete cop-out. When I first started college, um, I, was, I was a terrible student in high school. Some, a lot of you have been around here for a while, you know that. Um, I was on the five-year plan. It took me five years to graduate from high school. Um, when I talk about being a senior, I say it was the best two years of my life. Um, 
and now here's, now here's the thing. I met my wife. When I first started college, I actually had an 11 a.m. golf class. Um, you wouldn't know it by the way I play golf. But I remember talking to the teacher afterwards, and I remember saying, like, listen, can we move this class to, like, maybe sometime after lunch? And he's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, listen, 11 a.m. is early. I'm thinking maybe 3, 4 in the afternoon. How do you feel about that? And he said, and then his response was, get out. So, you know, listen, I'm just trying to be nice here. Uh, so I, I, I'm in between. I'm getting ready to start college. I just finished high school, and I, I met my wife. And um, a lot of you have heard that story before of how I met my wife. But she asks me, you know, that night that we met, um, you know, do you like school? My wife was a straight-A student. She was uh, voted the most liked person in her high school, um, the graduating class of like 600 people. Um, whenever people see uh, people who know my wife, the first question, hey, how you doing? Hey, you know where Carrie is? Uh, it's crazy, you know, like people just love her. And if you know her, you do people like Bob, you know, eh, whatever, but we love Carrie. Um, that's kind of usually how it works. Like, you know, Bob, you know, we're praying for you. And, but we love Carrie and we love Carrie. Um, now, so when she asked me, you know, Hey, do you like school? And I said, yes. And now she says you were lying. And I say it was a prophecy. Um, cause a few years later I'd be running a college and I'm like, that was just prophetic. Um, but what if I, you know, now what if I said, you see, I, I know that I so didn't pay attention in class that I had to go another year of high school and I almost failed, but I had talked my journalism teacher into letting me pass. In fact, truth be told, it was actually a girl that I dated that talked the journalism teacher into passing me because she said, if you don't pass Bob, he's going to be really upset and who knows what he's going to do. So I don't even know what that means. Um, needless to say, I received that D in faith and I graduated. And um, so D is for dynamic. And, um, and, so, and so now, but imagine if I would have said, yeah, I was a bad student. Sure, I've never read a book in my life. Sure, I was in college, my, um, I was in community college for three years and accumulated 13 credits. All of that is true. But I want you to know this. In my heart, I love school. You say, no, you don't. You're a weirdo. That's what you are. You know, but because why? Because if you really loved it, you'd do better. You do things like show up to class, read the books, do the assignments. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but why? Because it doesn't work in any other realm of life. If I say, oh man, but see in my heart, in my heart, I really believe that I give an apple to the teacher as a sign of my love. You know what I mean? It's like, sure, you might say that, but you know, but it's not true because if it really were true, your actions would show it. And the same thing is true within our relationship with God. If we know what's right and we don't do it, can we just be honest? Listen, we're worse off than the person who doesn't know anything about God. John says in verse 23, we, what we receive from him that, we, that, uh, that we receive from him because we're obedient, that our obedience to God is simply a reflection of our love for God, that we aren't obeying so that God will love us. That's huge to understand. We aren't obeying so that God will love us. No, we are loved by God. We obey because we're loved by God and our obedience to God is simply a way of expressing that love to him. Um, 
The other thing to note is this. Many times, the things that we're asking God for are things that come naturally when we obey God's word. You know, many times we build our lives on disobedience to God and then expect God to bless it. And it's like, and God's saying, I can't bless that. Because that's why if we're not really, if we're not obeying God, listen, we're not going to see the kind of victory that we want to see in our lives. See, if you read the Bible and you read about what the Bible has to say about a work ethic, and then you say, well, God, I just want you to promote me, and I want to like make like triple the money I'm making. Well, so how's it going at work? Well, you know, I've used all my sick days. Well, it's only the first week of January. I know, but I was really sick of work, and so I took some sick days. And um, so you don't, do, you don't have the work. So you have a person, they don't have the work ethic that the Bible talks about, but yet they want the blessings of God at work. It's like, well, see, it doesn't work that way. Well, see, in, in, in relationships, we don't do it God's way, but then we're expecting somehow for God to bless that relationship. And it's like, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Here's what the Bible says. Last verse in your outline. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew again and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, my friends, it's not just hearing it. It's doing it that brings victory in our lives. You see, Jesus is not saying, okay, if you obey me, you'll never have any problems in your life. That's not what he's saying in these verses. What he is saying is, oh, obey me. And here's what's going to happen. Even though the rain comes and the wind comes and the floods try to wipe you out, you'll still be standing. So here's the question. How's your heart? I mean, if you look at your life and you say, well, this is what's happening. I mean, is, is it a reflection of what's really happening in our heart? And listen, if the outcomes that are happening and the decisions that we're making and the things that we're doing and the things that we're involved in, it's like, well, man, what am I doing? Maybe we've got to get our heart right. Maybe it's a time to say, I, for some reason, man, I've been kind of pulling away from God and it's time for me to come back. Um, this message comes to me at a very interesting time in my life. Um, this week uh, is, is two years that my cousin, a cousin of mine died. Cousin, we were really close, um, grew up together, and, um, you know, massive heart attack at his son's two-year-old birthday party. And, um, you know, healthy by all appearances, you know, I mean, uh, if you looked at people thought that him and I were brothers because we look so much alike, more so than even my brother and I. And um, it was a total shock. Still affects me when I think about it. And it just, it just is a reminder to me that things can look okay on the outside. But there can be a problem in your heart. That, you know, th there can be, we can even be doing some of the right things, but in our heart, we know that something isn't right. And see, it might not even be something that somebody can look at and diagnose, you know, spiritually, but you know 
You say, man, I, I just think I'm not, I'm not feeling right. I'm not something. There's a disconnect here with God and I, I need to fix that. Listen, that's why I'm so glad that you're here. Listen, a lot of times we'll, we do invitations at the end of the service for people who don't know Jesus to come to know him. But maybe this is um, a time for us, for those of us who do know him, but we've drifted. Something's happened in our heart and we're not really sure what it is. And maybe the close of this service is an opportunity for us to get our heart right, to take a step in his direction and say, God, I know you and, um, and I love you, but I, I've, I've walked away somehow. So there's some disconnect that's taken place and, and I, need, I need to fix it. Because listen, now is the time to come back to him. Now is the time. Let's pray to God. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you that you just don't leave us. But instead, you stand at the door and knock and invite us to come back with open arms. So God may this be a moment where many of us, if we feel like we're far away, can come back to you, receive your embrace, and be restored. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a psalm that says, um, it says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And that psalm, he says, um, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. That's what David said after his, this period of sin in his life, that he finally came clean. He finally confessed. He finally said, God, I'm going to make it right. And God did a work in him and, and the response. And he says, oh man, the joy of being forgiven. The joy of knowing that God has cleansed my sin, that things are right between him and I. So what I want to do as we close is simply give you an opportunity. Listen, if you're here and you know the Lord, you've come to know him, but you feel like, man, I've walked away a little bit. My heart isn't right. And I need, I need to fix it. I need to take a step in God's direction because God says that if we will draw near to him, then he will draw near to us. And that promise that's true for me is a promise that's true for you as well. So the band's going to play. And what I want to do is pray for you. So if you're saying, yes, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm going to take a step, I want to come back to him, then here's what I'm going to do. As the band plays, I'm going to invite you to stand up and come forward and we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And we're going to see God do great things in your life. So if you're ready, if you're willing, I'm going to invite you to come forward. George, lead us.